Well, hello and welcome to Habit Help, the podcast of Creekside Community Church in San Leandro, California, where we're talking about how habits build you, and we try to help you build better habits. I'm Jeff Bruce, one of the pastors here, and I am joined today by a man who has just been an example of faithfulness, my dad. Dad, I think you have an anniversary today, don't you? It is. It's our 42nd and uh, 42 happiest years of my life. Does mom just light up inside when you say the 42 happiest years of your life? She lights up outside. I don't know what's going on inside. <laughs> well, thank you to you both. Uh, yeah, you, you made it very easy for me to believe in marriage, uh, oh, thank just you. seeing your example and, and uh, the power of what God has done through it. So Great. just want to say that at the outset. So last week, we began to talk about talking with God and the habit of prayer. To cultivate a life of intimacy with Christ, I think we've got to be in constant conversation with God. What does conversation look like? First, it means hearing what God has to say in Scripture, and second, it's talking to God through prayer. So that's really how we experience God's presence in an ongoing basis, hearing and talking. Right. We talked about all the reasons prayer is hard, and yet why it is absolutely essential, and we... Uh, gave a few ideas on how you can start to cultivate a prayer life. And the big takeaway, I think, was this, that if you want to develop this spontaneous prayer life where you're talking to God throughout the day, you have to start with a scheduled prayer life. Right. You have to actually set aside time to talk with God and determine what you're going to talk about. Right. And, and the more disciplined you get in that scheduled time, uh, the easier it will be to cultivate the spontaneous time. Right. And, and we see both in Jesus' life, that he was both a scheduled and a spontaneous prayer. Right. So we should be right. too. So anything you want to add from last time? Any thoughts, ideas? I think that covers it well. It's kind of like uh, Maxwell like this. It's, it's like a great jazz musician can't improvise unless he's played his scales. Yeah. And uh, So you gotta you got to have some, some deliberate practice in there in order to be spontaneous. Great. Well, Max gave us a thumbs up, so it's an apt analogy. So today, we want to talk more about patterns of prayer first, just different ways to pray according to the Bible. Personally, I think um, that conversation, I hope this conversation, will be really relevant to, to what's going on in the world right now as we just witness injustice and all of the fallout and the anger and the visceral pain from that. Well, how does that relate to prayer and the way we pray? I think there are going to be some things that are really instructive for us today in, in, in how we pray when we have these emotions and what to do with those. Um, and so patterns of prayer, and then the, just priorities in prayer, and, and that gets to the Lord's Prayer. Jesus actually teaches us how to pray, right. and that's an important reminder for me because I should probably listen to him yeah. and what he says I should focus on in prayer. So, so let's start with just patterns of prayer in the Bible. What are some different ways we should pray? Well, I, what's been practical for me, I've, I've never gotten an improvement on the old acts, uh, prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Yeah. And I find that if I leave out any one of those things, my prayer life suffers. Um, I think adoration, giving, just giving God praise, is not something that comes natural to me as a self-centered person, because most of my prayers are me talking to me about me and letting God listen in. And, and uh, so I, I need to, to focus on God, and so that's where I find Scripture is very helpful. Yeah. And uh, I've 
gone, what's been helpful to me lately is I've gone through all of the, all of the um, prophets, yeah. and I've written down every verse that says anything about God. Mm. And then I go back through those verses and pray those verses in praise to God. That, mm. that it, and that really has been uh, life-changing for me in, in reorienting myself and, and seeing God as he is and beginning my prayer from in, in that way. But I need the Scripture as to cue me in how to adore God and praise God. I need to re- be reminded of who he is and what he's like and why he's praiseworthy. And it really points to the importance of discipline in prayer, because as you said, our flesh will naturally gravitate toward what God can give us right. in, in prayer, mine certainly does, rather than first stopping to remember who God is. And as you said last time, what we should be focusing on prayer is who God is, because if we don't have an accurate idea of the God we're praying to, um, we, we won't pray in faith. Right, right. No, faith is just taking God seriously. Mm-hmm. It's just believing what God says about himself. Right. And so I've got to have my focus on who he is and what the Bible reveals about him to have an adequate prayer life. Right. So adoration, and, and, and it's good, as, especially as a first step yeah. to adore God. Yeah. And then confession. Um, again, uh, I think con- we see confession all the way through mm-hmm. the Psalms. Um, Psalm 51 kind of being the classic psalm right. where David confesses uh, his his adultery mm-hmm. with Bathsheba and then committing murder to cover it up. Yeah. And uh, But I think that confession is absolutely critical because, as, as John tells us in 1 John 1, confession is key to walking in the light, right. that, that I am in the light as long as I'm agreeing with God about my sin. Yeah. Um, it, it's, sinning doesn't take me out of the light. Right. It's refusing to acknowledge my sin that takes me out of the light. Yeah. And so confession is just agreeing with God about my sin, saying, exactly. you're, you're right, Father, that was a sin. I, I confess that. I just yesterday um, got into a, a, con, a conversation that I didn't ask Jesus about. I just kind of <laughs> jumped in. You know, I'm just quick on the lip. And uh, God, I mean, and I just had to confess that right after the conversation. Just, Lord, I was stupid there. Hmm. I did not submit myself to you. I did not ask you what I should say, or or anything else. I just jumped in without even. And I confess that as sin. And then the promise is, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I thought, I think a lot of the the distance we often feel from God yeah. is because we haven't really been serious about bringing our sins to him and confessing them and asking him to forgive us. He forgives us permanently because of Jesus, but we only experience that forgiveness um, on a day-to-day basis as we bring those sins to him and say, I I was wrong on this, I confess this as sin. So confession, I think, is is very important. I agree. It gets to a critical theological distinction— that we need to keep in mind, which is the difference between union with Christ and communion with Christ. Right. Um, we don't confess our sins to get right with God, right, in the sense of positionally. Right. We right. don't confess our sins because, oh, now I have this guilt that God will punish me right. for. That, that's not the motivator. Right. Uh, because Jesus dealt with our guilt and the consequence, the penalty of our sin on the cross. And so we have a union with Christ that um, is fixed, that's secure. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But our communion with God, which is our day-to-day experience of intimacy with God, that is something that gets interrupted by sin. Right. 
Right. And, and so if we aren't agreeing with God about our sin and making a habit, and I would say a daily habit, of bringing to mind, here are the areas where I know I am consciously aware that I'm out of alignment with God's will, um, we can drift further from communion with Him and lose the sweetness of our intimacy with yeah. Him. Yeah, yeah. I, I think a lot of it has to do with pride. Mm-hmm. Um, that the less I confess, the more impressed I become with myself because I'm not really reali- realistically looking at my own weakness right. and failings. But to your point, I, I think there's uh, the way I look at it is it, it, it's union versus communion. It's legal forgiveness versus family forgiveness. Mm-hmm. That 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 legally I am forgiven. I am wholly blameless and pure because right. of Christ's death. But just as in our family, I, I know I, I know Lori loves me no matter what I do. Mm-hmm. But if we have some, if I have, uh, do something that offends her, I don't feel like our relationship is where it needs to be until I go and apologize to her. Yeah, and I think the same thing is true with the Lord that that I don't really experience that communion, that close relationship with Him until I've gone and said, "I'm sorry, I right. I, I, I I was wrong to do this." Yeah, I, I like that analogy as well. That's good. Yeah. So, so adoration, confession, and and again, I just think it's good because you're going to be intentional about praying. You need to have a plan, right. and I just find it's very helpful to have a plan, <laughs> an agenda of what I'm going to. You know, the spirit can lead you in, into other things too. But right. I think it's, I like to know what I'm going to be talking to God about. It. Mm-hmm. So, adoration, confession. Third thing is the weakest one for me, and that's Thanksgiving. Hmm. Um, I am just not nearly thankful enough, and uh, I don't take the time to really rehearse all the things um, that I I need to be thankful about. But I find yeah. the more thankful I become, the more I will remember all the things that God has done for me, is doing for me. Mm-hmm. The more humble I become, right, and the more grateful I become, and and. The less important the little things that are bothering me about life become, because I it, it gives me perspective. So, taking time, and it doesn't have to be in this order, but t- having time every day of just giving God thanks. Yeah, and it's so critical for our faith because gratitude and faith are so closely connected. Yeah, yeah. That if I'm not grateful, my faith will um, atrophy. Yeah. And, and something I'm amazed by, and, and something I've been doing as a, a discipline in prayer each week, is at least a few times a week, starting with Thanksgiving, yeah. and just saying, okay, let's think back on the previous day. Here's what I know I should be thankful for. Yeah, and then writing great. them down. And what's interesting, as I, I start to you know count the blessings, <laughs> um, ones come up that I totally forgot about. Yeah. And yeah. I'm just amazed how quickly I will forget the good things God just did. Yeah. Yeah. That in the moment I was thankful for, but in the blink of an eye, at the snap of a finger, it's gone. Yeah. And I and I forget how how merciful God was in that moment. Yeah. I think we type A's are so focused on the present mm-hmm. and the future that it's easy that once something's done, we move quickly on rather than being grateful for what God did and that He did answer our prayers and He did pull our pull us out of the fire or, or whatever whatever else it was. Yeah. So Thanksgiving is... is, And then, of course, what most people think of prayer is supplication, just right. bringing, bringing my needs, bringing all the things I want to see God do to Him. Yeah. That's good. You see 
adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and simplification in the Lord's Prayer, which mm-hmm. we'll, we'll talk about. Right, um, right. There's focus on the character of God. There's, there's a focus on um, supplication, confession, and, uh, and so, yeah, this all ties together is what I want you to see, yeah. um, what yeah. I want our, our, our listeners to see. There, there's a few other subcategories of prayer that I think are interesting to consider, uh-huh. and you could put them under confession and under supplication, mm. but I think you see them very frequently in the Psalms in particular, mm-hmm. so frequently that I think it's important to at least address them in some way, and I think they're actually really very relevant to building the kind of spiritual disciplines we need to be able to think through what's happening in our world. And mm. so the two I would talk about are lament and then imprecation. Mm. Uh, lament is grieving before God, and it can be, as we see in the Psalms, it can be for um, personal pain and affliction. It can be for the, the sense that, that God is not present, that we don't feel him. It can be for injustice in the world. It can be for all sorts of things. But one-third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. Mm. Mm. There's a book in the Bible. It's called Lamentations. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeremiah is filled with lament over what has happened to Israel. Right. Job is filled with lament. And so as you start to peel back the layers, you see, wow, the Bible gives us incredible resources for what to do with our emotional pain in grief. Right, right. And, and here's what struck me about that recently. I don't spend much time lamenting in prayer. I don't spend much time grieving. And I would say there's a few reasons for that. One reason is because my life is pretty great. Um, there's hardship in a lot of places around me, and I'm pained by those things, and I pray for those things, but like my immediate family <laughs> and, and, and my life and my job, things are, are pretty great, and I'm just insulated yeah. from a lot of pain. Even as a pastor, I'm, I'm still insulated in some ways. And, and another reason that, that I think I'm not prone to lament is because I just don't experience injustice. Yeah. I, I'm just insulated from injustice in the world in that sense, too, that I'm, I am largely protected yeah. from any sort of oppression or uh, systemic evil in the world. And so I have just found it so important as a way to empathize with people who I know are in pain, my brothers and sisters, as we, we think of everything that's happened in these police killings and, and, and just the, the horror of watching videos of it and all of these things, it's important for me to just take time to be against it in lament in order to feel with my brothers and sisters and to try to enter into their yeah. experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, particularly as a white guy. It's, yeah. it's just it's very important for me to have that spiritual discipline. And even when I don't feel like lamenting, well, that's an indicator <laughs> that, that, that maybe my radar needs to be corrected a little bit here, and I need to consciously choose to lament more things, right? To, to remember the fallenness and evil of the world. Right, right. And, and another reason to lament, I think, for me personally, is, yeah. is I grew up in a, in a painful home situation. Yeah. And so I learned to deal with pain by compartmentalizing it. Yeah. And, and shoving it down and ignoring it because it got in the way of what I wanted to accomplish and where I wanted to go. And I think I've lived most of my life that way. So right. that I am, I am pretty callous and pretty hardened toward pain, whether it might be my pain or somebody else's. 
And then I read about Jesus, and Jesus says he, he is not untouched yeah. by our pain because he was, he was tempted in all ways such as we are. Right. He, uh, Jesus was a man who cried easily yeah. and publicly yeah. and stuff like that. And so I understand that to mean that, that God wants me to feel like Jesus felt in order to become the man that he wants me to be. And so lament gives me a practical way of, of doing that yeah. by of, of learning to lament with my Father right. in prayer uh, so that I can have those the emotions of Jesus gradually replace my hardened, compartmentalized heart. It's really good. And, and I think it gets to... The, the, we're going to have feelings no matter what. And so you can idolize feelings. Yeah and say sort of, I feel, therefore I am, about everything in your life. Or you can suppress your feelings, and, and the Bible would say both of those are bad ideas. Yeah. You need to pray your feelings. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for a person like me, I'll, I'll never forget how kind of emotionally... When I learned I was in a kind of an emotionally disconnected person, I was mm-hmm. talking to a friend, and I just said, hey, where do you think I need to grow as a pastor? And I thought he would pause for a while and reflect <laughs> and think long and hard. But he immediately responded. And yeah. I thought, uh-oh. I hate <laughs> the, the quick answer. <laughs> the, the quick answer. And it was a very specific answer. He said, Jeff, you smile when you talk about difficult things. Mm. And I thought, I sound like a sociopath. I sound like the Joker, right? Like mm. I smile. That, that sounds like a villain in a, in a comic book movie. What is wrong with me? But I realized that there was this disconnect between my head and my heart, and that the way I had coped with right. pain right. was as a type A, just to move on. Yeah. Just to move on and not sit with pain. Yeah. And it has, I'd say, inhibited me from sitting with other people in their pain. Right. Right. And 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 maybe delegitimizing it in yeah. some way. Yeah. When when the pain is so visceral and real. Right. So that's one is is lament is I think whether you fit it under confession uh, or under supplication, right? A, a critical part of the prayer diet here. Yeah, yeah. And I would say another one, and I don't know how much I want to touch on it because it's a controversial one, but imprecation. The Bible actually tells us what to do with our anger. Yeah. In prayer. Yeah. yeah. And and the the imprecatory psalms to imprecate just means to curse. There are cursing psalms in the Bible. And some of them are extremely graphic. Uh, there's 14 psalms, but then there are 32 other psalms that contain imprecatory statements. So this is quite frequent in the psalms where people are so angry, they're saying, God, avenge me. God, do something about my plight. Um, now, you know, these are written by people who are often in positions of personal powerlessness, um, which I can't relate to, <laughs> yeah. um, right? I mean, they are under the thumb of oppression, Um they're also praying to God in covenant that they're trusting that he, it's uh, based on the covenantal promises God has made to curse disobedience. They're praying in accordance with that. Um, but I think the other thing about it is it's a way of entrusting God with the anger you feel about injustice in the world, either that's been done to you or that's just systemic and, and, and wider spread. Right, right. And, and it's funny because people are so uncomfortable with these but I find the people who are most uncomfortable are the people who have never lived in a situation where you are under the thumb of evil and there's nothing you could do about it. Right, right. You know, it gets back to kind of Miroslav Volf's 
point about uh, people who struggle with the violent God have never lived in a war-torn country yeah. where they are just at the mercy of, of evil, yeah. right? And, yeah. and so we are so insulated from this experience that, that we don't understand how important it is to, to appreciate these, these prayers because it's a way of praying your feelings of rage. And the beautiful thing is when we pray those to God, he, he sanctifies them. Right. And he sorts them out. And it's a way of righteously being angry, right, and and, and refusing to take just vengeance into our own hands, but yeah. entrusting it to God. Anything else you want to say about those? I think I I would say that I think especially in our in our Christian culture, there is a feeling that I should readily forgive everybody who sins against me. Yep, and and if I can't do it, I feel weak. I feel guilty. I feel like I I must not be what God wants me to be, and that it's somehow that God wants me to be almost placid and, and, and just kind of impervious to pain that yeah. caused, caused by other people. Yeah, stoic and the, kind of a detachment. Exactly. That these things don't really matter, yeah. and so I, I, I should just be detached. Yeah, so it's not like I'm forgiving this person out of love, but I'm, I'm more forgiving them because what they did to me really isn't all that important. <laughs> yeah, and, it doesn't and, really matter in the yeah, long run. It's all the, small stuff. Yeah, and I think... I think the verse that has helped me is what Paul says in in uh, Romans twelve, I believe. Yeah. Where he says, "Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God." Right. Or the bit for for is written, "I will avenge." Right. Is that the way it goes? I will. For vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. I will repay. I, think I will that's repay. It. Yeah. yeah. And so to realize that the response to all sin isn't mm-hmm. necessarily forgiveness. There are sins that God will avenge, right? But He's the judge; He's the avenger, and it is faith um, that leaves my, leaves justice in His hands, knowing mm-hmm. that He eventually will right every wrong, right? And He will make every uh, punish every every sin that's not in my hands. So what that means is my pain is not insignificant; my right. pain is not meaningless. Mm-hmm. But if this person doesn't repent, Right, they will eventually have to face Almighty God yeah. for this sin, and so I think that's where the imprecatory psalms can, or imprecatory prayers can come in. Yeah, that I I, I remember um, one of the first prayers I ever heard as a young Christian. I was at a I was at a conference, and and one of the guys in my in my room, in my dorm room, he, he realized that somebody had stolen his watch, mm-hmm. and he prayed, "Oh Lord, please use this to bring this person to Christ." But if he doesn't come to Christ, I pray that certain parts of his body fall off. <laughs> and I thought, I thought, well, that's what a, is wrong with that's you? That's yeah. not a Christian prayer, but it, but it actually kind of was, yeah. You know? Because he's leaving vengeance in God's hands. So he's saying it's not insignificant what happened to happened me. to me, but it's not my responsibility to make it right, to make myself whole. Exactly. That's and that's. The only option we have in the world of of where if we're not going to take vengeance into our own hands, um, I don't know if there's any deeper human belief operating that sin needs to be punished. Oh yeah, that that they're, that that wrong behavior deserves retribution. Yeah, and when we don't see it, um, it is infuriating. Yeah, it is just infuriating, and and instead of saying. Oh no, that's you know God's a God of forgiveness, so you should let it go. The, the imprecatory Psalms teach us no, God lets nothing go. Yeah, nothing. Yeah. In fact, He takes evil so seriously that it was only the perfect blood of His Son 
that that could be a proper substitute to make right the evil of the world. Exactly. And so it's not that we pit forgiveness against our need to see evil punished. Yeah. Um, it's that um, God gives us recourse through prayer, um, a way of dealing with our profound feelings of anger. Yeah. Um, toward either individual sin or, or corporate sin. Right. Um, yeah, crying out for justice. Crying out for justice is a prayer God hears. Yes. And and it isn't opposed to crying out for God's mercy and salvation and rectifying power and all of these things, because one of the things you see in the Bible is that God judges and saves all in the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> God yeah. will swoop in, he will, he will judge, he will punish evil, and he will bring about rectification all at once. Yeah. And so we just trust that we leave that in God's hands. God, we, we need to have things made right to yeah. be right. Yeah. And, and we trust that, that God will save, deliver, punish, rectify in his way at his time. Right. And that's what the, imp- and the imprecatory psalms help us to do. Yeah. I would note, too, because sometimes Christians will say, well, those aren't for today. You know, we should never pray an imprecation. Well, Jesus prays an imprecation uh, when he curses the fig tree. Yeah. And he's talking about Israel and their fruitlessness. Right. And the martyrs in Revelation 6, under the throne of God, are crying out, how long, yeah. Lord? Yeah. Before you make things right, and yeah. that also means punishing systemic evil, the devil, this world under the throes of the devil, right? Yeah. And so, um, and, and God doesn't say like martyrs, like you just you missed the message here. <laughs> you know, you just need to chill out yeah, see, about evil need, or injustice in the world. Forgive. You need to forgive. Move on. Move yeah. on. He, yeah. he says no a little longer. Yeah. yeah. He says be patient. Um, but but I think that's so important because the only other alternatives are to be consumed with sadness or consumed with anger. Yeah, exactly. Because, um, and feel like God doesn't care. God doesn't care. And so I've kind of got to deal with this myself. Right. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So, yeah, so there's good. rich resources here in Scripture to teach yeah. us what to do when we're happy, when we're sad, when we're mad, right. when we're everything in between. Right. And, um, and it's all prayer. Yeah, and it's all about interfacing with God about the way we're feeling. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, obviously, God wants us to be honest. And a lot of times, I think, if if I feel distant from God, it's because I'm not really being honest with myself and honest with God mm-hmm. about where I am and what I'm going through. Right. And I find, invariably, that when I get clean with clear with God when I take the time to think about what is it that I'm really struggling with right and I bring it before the Lord that my sense of closeness to God right. is really real reestablished right no that's good so those are some patterns of prayer right um I'd like to talk a little bit and this could be a few more episodes if we wanted it to be but just a little bit about the pattern of prayer Jesus gives us and it really gets to our priorities in prayer right so let's talk a little bit about the Lord's prayer. Okay. I mean, I just think it's interesting that Jesus told us how to pray. Well, it's interesting to me that his disciples ask him to teach him to pray. Mm. He didn't ask him to teach us to preach. <laughs> he said, teach What are you insinuating, Dad, that Jesus wasn't a good preacher? Yeah. No, I think he was a very good preacher, yeah. but, but I think the thing that impressed his disciples was his prayer life, yeah. and they came to him and teach us to pray. Just, yeah. just like John taught his disciples to pray. Hmm. And uh, so they realize that prayer is not something that comes natural. Yeah. They need to be trained in it. And Jesus was the master prayer, 
And so they recorded his instructions for how to pray in the Scripture. Right. So they ask Jesus how to pray. And here's what's interesting to me. On the one hand, Jesus says, don't babble like the pagans, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Right. And if you look at pagan prayers from the mystery religions or the temples of the time, it was a lot of incantations. Oh, yeah. It was a lot of babbling. Yeah. It was, uh, if I say just the right words and utter the right magical spell, the gods will listen to me and I can manipulate them to do what I want. Exactly. It's all about controlling God with the right words. All about controlling God with the right words. And Jesus says, focus on who God is. Right right? Who your father is in heaven. But here's what's interesting. He doesn't just say, well, focus on God and then talk. He actually says, don't, don't use mindless repetition of words. But then he gives us words to use. Yeah. Yeah. Which is just an amazing thing because it means we need a pattern for prayer. Yeah. 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 No, he doesn't leave us to figure out the agenda for prayer. Yeah. He gives us the agenda. Yeah. And so what would you say about that? How would we use the Lord's prayer then to pray. What are some of your preliminary thoughts on that? Well, my what I've done is I've just used that like it is a pattern. Yeah. I don't mindlessly, re, you know, pray through the Lord's Prayer and say, amen, okay, I had my prayer time for the day. Or but, say it 27 uh, times to make it a magical incantation by which God does those things, right? That would be exactly. the point. But I just use them more as subjects to talk to God about. Right. So um, that I see it more as an outline yeah. for prayer. Mm-hmm. I do too. I think it's a pattern. Pray then like this, or pray in this manner. Right. He's giving us priorities for prayer. Right. What stands out to me about that, though, is that if you were to sum up the Lord's Prayer, it's pray for God's interests, then pray for yours. Yeah. And then pray for protection. And then pray for protection. Yeah. Yeah. But... What I love about it is it's really the application of what Jesus says later in Matthew 6, where he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to right. you. Right. Make God's priorities your priorities, yeah. and then God will make your concerns his concerns. Exactly. That's the order exactly. for life. Yeah. And so I take that seriously when it comes to praying that I pray for God's interests first, yeah. and then my own. Yeah. That, that's my basic rhythm of prayer. And, and so each stanza, each line of this prayer can be used to build out all sorts of prayers right, right. under that. So our Father, I start with who God is. He's right. my heavenly Father. Right. And then uh, hallowed be your name. Would, would the, the reputation of God and his character be known in the world, and he, would he be regarded as supreme right. and holy? Um, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would God's agenda in the world be realized both now and ultimately? Right, right. And, and so we apply it to different areas where we we see that the world is is out of alignment right. with God's will. Right. And then we pray, um, and, and this is where prayer becomes a protest movement in a sense, that, that God, this world is not the way that you want it to be. Right. And so would your kingdom come in this area, in that area? And we start to pray that way, that praying heaven down to earth, right? Um, and then once you have prayed for God's glory, God's kingdom, God's will, God's agenda, then give us today our daily bread. Here right. are the things that are most 
concerning to me. Right. And pour out your heart about that. And then confession, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And to me, that that means, actually, I, I should first, who am I resenting? <laughs> where do I need to, to extend forgiveness? Do that in prayer. And then where do I need to ask God for forgiveness right. as well? Right, right. Um, and finally, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the, the evil one. And, and I think, really, that's a spiritual warfare prayer there. It's not just evil. It's the evil one that Jesus right. is talking about, right. that, that Satan hates you and has a terrible plan for your life. He's out to make your day miserable, and you desperately need the armor of God, um, or you are going to be exposed right. to Satan's schemes. Right, right. Anything else you would say about it? Yeah, I think I think I agree completely with everything you said. I I would say that um, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Really, that's kind of the like the adoration, yeah, part of of Acts. And and you're also praying. Um, people's great need is to know God, right? Take God seriously, and so you're really addressing every our great need and everybody's great need when you pray that God's name be hallowed, that people see God for who he really is, because that is at the root of all of our of all of our problems and all of our sin. It's interesting that he says you're praying that God's will will be done, and that kind of goes against, I think, a lot of people mm-hmm. see God sovereign, God's going to do what God's going to do, and I have nothing to do with it. And yet Jesus says, yeah, you do, that that you are somehow mysteriously part of God, the enacting of God's will being done on earth. Um, Charles Wesley said, God does nothing on earth except in response to believing prayer. Right, and which I, is an exaggeration, but a it, good exaggeration. It's a good exaggeration, <laughs> but I think in practically I know when I pray, things happen that don't happen when I don't pray. Right. And, and uh, so I think it's just showing us our partnership with God in seeing his kingdom, kingdom come. Yeah, and, and theologically, it is so important that we get that right. Yeah. Or we will be anxious in our activity, or just be passive. Exactly. That, that God is sovereign, and in his sovereignty ordains the ends and the means to reach those ends. Right. The ends and the means to reach those ends. And that is so critical, that, that those are each part of God's sovereign will, that he is going to reach people and save them. How is he going to do that? Through the preaching of the gospel. Who preaches the gospel? His people. Right. God uses human instrumentality in that way. How does God work in our community? Uh, through answered prayer. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's, and, and it's a broader point. It, it always stands out to me, you know, as we've been in foster care, there's all of these passages about how God is the defender of the orphan. He's the defender of vulnerable children. And boy, you'd have a hard time believing that looking at the world and just all of the vulnerable children who are exposed and seem to have no defender. But you have to see those statements from God in the broader context of Scripture where God calls his people consistently to be the defenders of vulnerable children. Right, right. And, and, and so that's really transformed my own view of that, kind of getting away from prayer. But when we see vulnerable children in the world, instead of asking, oh, where is God? Well, where are God's people? Because God is command- this is the means through which God will achieve that that end. And and we do not have a perspective on what the world would look like apart from the prayers of his people and apart from the mm. actions of his people. In other words, we focus on on the, the bad things. Right. Um, you know, that's the headline. Um, and yet... Now, the media runs on what's the worst thing that happened today. Exactly. But we don't see all the escapes from death. All the, I mean, just think about it. It's just your own life. Oh, my God. All the things you've worried about that never happened. Right. I mean... 
you know, the, the optimist is is right more times than the pessimist is. Um, but what just, do they say about the pessimist? Like when the bad things happen, they they have to live through it twice. Yeah, exactly. Right. But all that to say is that God has given us incredible influence over the affairs of everyday life yeah. through prayer. Yeah, and, that's His sovereign will. That, that, that's His me, the means He's ordained, as right. you said. And that's why James says, you have not because you ask not. And yeah. God actually gives us not only um, responsibility for our own lives, but responsibility for our culture and for our world mm-hmm. when He says... Uh, your will be done. You pray that God's will will be done yeah. on earth, just as it's already been do- been done in heaven. That's what mm-hmm. makes heaven heaven. Right. Is that God's will, will is, is done. done there. Yeah, it's and, perfectly and, done. And so we want to see God's will done on earth, just like it's done in heaven. Right. And and how does that happen? Well, we pray. Yeah. Good. And I hope that's a motivator to you as listeners. Um, one way I think about it is, in one sense, yes, God is going to do what he's going to do. But boy, wouldn't you really like to see him do it through you? Yeah. Wouldn't you like to be an active participant with God in the process? And what a loss to miss out on that in the world for the sake of your own faith and for just the, the joy of actually being a participant in God's mission. There's no more meaningful thing you could give your life to. Yeah. And and prayer is the first way we enter into that. Yeah. The the last thing I'd say about it is that prayer transforms us into different people as well. Yeah. Because you can't earnestly pray that God's agenda would take root on earth without at the same time signing up to be part of that agenda. Right. You you can't pray this way without in a sense committing yourself to be part of of what God wants to do in the world. Right. Nor can you sign up and 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 venture out on in your own steam and, and yeah. with your own plan and your own agenda if you're praying diligently. Because the more you pray, the more you realize unless God moves here, unless God acts, unless God leads, nothing's going to be accomplished. Right, and, and uh, that's why I think just seeing someone come to Christ is the greatest miracle we see, mm-hmm. because we are so blind and hard-hearted. Yeah. And so when you start sharing your faith, all of a sudden you realize how incredibly dependent you are on God to work in somebody's heart and bring them to himself, whether soon or, or later. Right. Um, and that's why we pray. Yep. Absolutely. Well, I hope this has been encouraging to you as listeners and just thinking through what to do with our feelings, what what to do when we pray. Um, well, we're going to have to talk about other rhythms. We said this was an eight-part series. This was part eight, Dad. So we'll think about other rhythms, and there are many, many others in terms of habits to build. But um, yeah, until next time, thanks for listening, and 